Welcome to Snazzy Stories. Put some pepper in thy step and lend an ear to the terrific tales of the past. Hey, welcome to Snazzy Stories. If you would like to keep the storytelling alive, please go to patreon.com slash snazzy stories and donate to my storytelling adventure. Well, today's story is a story, uh, of more of an unknown story uh, about World War II, and it takes place before the invasion of Normandy. Now, on June 6, 1944, the liberation by the United States Armed Forces commenced with the invasion of Normandy in northern France. Five beaches were stormed with the invasion, and they were codenamed Utah, Omaha, Gold, Juno, and Sword. America did obtain victory on August 25, 1944, when the Allies freed France from the Nazi Germ- from Nazi Germany forces. However, with the victory also came a loss of many lives. According to the White House archives, quote, The cost of the Normandy campaign was high on both sides. From D-Day through August 21st, the Allies landed more than 2 million men in northern France and suffered more than 226,386 casualties. 72,911 were killed or missing, and 153,475 were wounded. German losses included over 240,000 casualties and 200,000 captured. Between 13,000 and 20,000 French civilians died, and many more were seriously wounded, unquote. And that many casualties came with a dress rehearsal of the invasion. The United States made a practice run of their invasion in April 1944 called Exercise or Operation Tiger. This practice cost lives as well, but without it, D-Day may have had more casualties. Slapton Sands was the location for the practice run, a British beach with a striking resemblance to Utah Beach in Normandy. The surrounding villages and civilian populations had been evacuated, but of course not told why they had to leave. After the evacuation of civilians, the beach had been turned into a war zone with mines, barbed wire, and concrete obstacles scattered the beach. Also, in order to have the soldiers understand the chaos of the invasion, the British Royal Navy was supposed to shell the beach with live fire until minutes before the American troops made their practice landing. On April 27, 1944, thousands of men began boarding eight LSTs, or landing ship tanks. The LSTs carried smaller amphibious vehicles, tanks, jeeps, weapons, and trucks. American servicemen were in full combat gear below the tank deck. The ships were headed to Lime Bay and then on to Slapton Sands. About the same crossing time, the American troops had to make it to Utah Beach on D-Day. The American convoy's escort was supposed to be a British destroyer, the HMS Scimitar. However, this destroyer was actually in port getting repairs. Unfortunately, the American military were not given the message that the escort would not be there. There was also more miscommunication. The landing was not supposed to occur till April 28th, but on April 27th, some boats landed on the beach and the British Navy began firing. The shelling of the British Navy quickly ceased, but it did end in friendly fire casualties. The LST's communication room 
also wasn't aware that a typographical error was made on the radio frequency the ships were given to be informed of enemy activity in the English Channel. And the convoy was never given any warning that German fast boats or e-boats were headed to intercept them. The German e-boats were equipped with 40 millimeter guns and torpedoes. At about 2 a.m. on April 28th, four German e-boats began their attack and commenced firing on the eight American LSTs. Another mistake was made when the British forces were monitoring the approach of the e-boats, but they were operating on a different radio frequency than the Americans, giving them no communication. The LSTs did not have much firepower to protect themselves. At first, the e-boats' torpedoes missed the LSTs because of their flat-bottom holes. Survivors from the tank decks said they remembered hearing the torpedoes scraping the bottom of the hole. Paul Gerolstein, a gunner's mate second class on LST-515, recalls, quote, A flare broke over our head, over our ship. He remembers saying, Oh my God, we're going to get it. And apparently we didn't. It must have gone under us. See, the LST was a flat-bottomed boat. I looked to the stern and saw LST-531 or 532 get torpedoed, unquote. The Exercise Tiger Memorial site gives a good description of what ensued next. Quote, Gunfire was exchanged between the E-boats and the LSTs. The E-boats quickly made adjustments. An LST-507 at the back of the convoy took a direct hit and was in flames and sinking. LST-531 in the middle of the convoy then took direct hits from two torpedoes. She would sink within six minutes. LST-289 in front of LST-507 was the third and final ship that was hit with a torpedo. LST-289 did not sink but took extensive damage to the stern and suffered a loss of life of 13 men and many were injured. The LSTs remaining afloat followed orders and moved out in zigzagging pattern as they began making their way to the nearest port. Unquote. The e-boats sped away, leaving the Americans in disarray. The captain of LST-515, John Doyle, was given orders to continue to port, but instead he went to rescue survivors. Gerolstein recalled, quote, We put cargo nets over the side. I went down the cargo net to the last hole. I put my leg through one hole and my arm through another one. And as the men in the water came by, we grabbed them and pulled them onto the net, and they would work their way up. When we got back and then the light broke, you could walk across the dead bodies in the water. There was over 700 of them killed. Unquote. Had Doyle not disobeyed orders and gone back, many more would have died. The British ship, the HMS Onslow, arrived at dawn to assist in rescuing men and recovering the bodies of those who died. The water was freezing and hypothermia became their reality. Lack of communication to the soldiers and the proper use of their life preservers and carrying heavy gear backpacks caused them to drown. The lifeboats were few, not near enough for the men, and the surface of the water was in flames from the burning fuel. Survivors were taken to temporary hospitals, and because of the needed secrecy and success that D-Day needed to bring, survivors were told never to speak about Operation Tiger, or they would be court-martialed. Gerolstein helped ferry some of the wounded to the hospital. He said, quote, The orders were in the hospital. You will not ask these men anything. 
You will not ask them anything. You will just take care of them, unquote. The men who survived the tragedy were assigned to other LSTs and were a part of the invasion on D-Day. It wasn't until 1984 when a memorial was established that this event came out of the darkness. The survivors began to speak about their experiences, and they were finally given some relief from the trauma that they had experienced and the ability to mourn for their friends who had perished that day. By 1994, the family members who had lost their loved ones due to Operation Tiger finally knew the truth of why their family members did not return home. Oftentimes, events in our own personal lives, and on a bigger scale, events in history and those that are affected, can take a long time before any closure is possible. We wait for it, we pray for it, and hope for it. Closure helps us move past the struggle. But that does not mean we forget. No, we never forget, nor should we. Forgetting history, whether it be our personal history or our nation's history, will never help us move forward in becoming better than we were. Because of Exercise Tiger and many factors, the storming of the Normandy beaches was incredibly successful. Perhaps D-Day would have been successful without a practice run, but the people who were there on Slapton Sands that day in April knew more of what to expect because they took enemy fire and they saw many of their friends lose their lives. Not only that, but the communication issues were fixed with moving to a standardized radio frequency for all involved. Better life preservers were given to the soldiers and they were given better training on how to use them. And a protocol was taught on how to rescue men left in the water. The changes made to correct the mistakes with Operation Tiger helped lead to a victory over the German forces. And General Eisenhower was confident in their D-Day mission. Before the D-Day invasion, General Eisenhower wrote to his men, quote, You are about to embark upon the great crusade, toward which we have striven these many months. The eyes of the world are upon you. The hopes and prayers of liberty-loving people everywhere march with you. In company with our brave allies and brothers-in-arms on other fronts, you will bring about the destruction of the German war machine, the elimination of Nazi tyranny over the oppressed peoples of Europe, and security for ourselves in a free world. Your task will not be an easy one. Your enemy is well-trained, well-equipped, and battle-hardened. He will fight savagely. But this is the year 1944. Much has happened since the Nazi triumphs of 1940 and 41. The United Nations have inflicted upon the Germans great defeats in open battle, man to man. Our air offensive has seriously reduced their strength in the air and their capacity to wage war on the ground. Our home fronts have given us an overwhelming superiority in weapons and munitions of war and placed at our disposal great reserves of trained fighting men. The tide has turned. The free men of the world are marching together in victory. I have full confidence in your courage and devotion to duty and skill in battle. We will accept nothing less than full victory. Good luck, and let us beseech the blessing of Almighty God upon this great and noble undertaking. Signed, Dwight D. Eisenhower. Unquote. The invasion of Normandy gets the press, which it should. 
But do not forget those that day at the dress rehearsal that made D-Day better than what it might have been. Thank you for listening to Snazzy Stories. Come back again where everyone has a story. 